You're listening to the Our Eerie Podcast with Devonna Paisley, Marty Wachuku, and Lydia Laith. We're here to highlight community voices and bring new perspectives to the table. We are unpacking Eerie's and America's baggage. We're speaking truth to power. Take a seat. Uh, for those of you just joining us, we are having a discussion about cancel culture. Is it real? Where does it come from? How does it affect us? Um, but basic, my understanding was that like canceling someone was born out of community organizing and progressive movements to hold like um, harmful developers or business owners or people accountable, like powerful people. So it's not used against like everyday folks. Like I'm not going to quote unquote cancel my friend, but you cancel someone that maybe has like anti-LGBTQ policies. So you stop shopping at a store that is homophobic and you tell your friends, hey, stop giving this this business money because we don't want to support someone that is homophobic. And so then you would like- boycott. Yeah, like boycotting them, right? And so you would cancel that, you know? And then, you know, that I think became targeted at like powerful individuals. So then you were canceling certain people that were in like maybe held up on, on like pedestals, like, you know, celebrities or things like that. But then now it's been kind of co-opted by the conservative movement to claim that they're being censored. And so they are like equating boycotting with censorship because these private platforms like Facebook or Twitter or just private citizens that don't want to shop or support certain folks are like holding them accountable to their problematic beliefs. Mm. Sure. I think the tie between those two things is that I don't remember who it was, but a few years ago, someone probably on Fox News either said something racist or did something racist. And then on Twitter and other social media, people like tagged and called out all of their sponsors to remove their sponsorships from these programs. And eventually, you know, losing that kind of funding, the network either let them go or suspended them. And it became a thing where, oh, it's this works. Let's this person said this thing and it was harmful sponsors remove your sponsorship so i guess to a certain extent they it i can see where it's coming from from the conservative side that they feel like they're being censored Mm -hmm. um but what i I, it's kind of not turned into but i feel like it's broadened beyond you know getting sponsors or corporations to remove their support of public individuals to Mm -hmm. a certain celebrity says this and now everyone's going to unfollow them or stop listening to their music and then it goes even lower you know maybe there's a certain business in town that said this and that and now everyone's going to their social media and spamming them so there's so many levels and gradients of the supposed cancel culture but I think the thorough line is that somebody did something terrible that affects a marginalized group of people it becomes public and then there's some type of accountability. Mm-hmm. That's why I think it's called cancel culture. And I don't think it's account- It's boycotting. It's mm-hmm. accountability. It's all these things that they've just put this name on. And now they're weaponizing it as, don't do this to me. Mm-hmm. So I really get bothered when people are like, you're canceling me. It's like, okay. <laughs> I thought cancel, like cancel culture reminds me a little bit of like, what what is the term? Black blackballing black blacklisting mm. cancel culture is like a i don't think it's real like i don't and think then that half the time like uh bill o'reilly or some of these people they just find jobs somewhere else so if you're still able to sustain yourself and do anything were you truly canceled Mm-mm. no, no. And that, but that's like the whole argument with a lot of like these like ultra far-right conservative 
people like Marjorie Taylor Greene or all these other like ridiculous people, they claim that they're being censored, but then they have countless platforms on really ultra conservative media. They're just mad that certain people aren't allowing them a platform, which as private people, like we've talked about that as a podcast, like we will only give platforms to people that we believe like Mm -hmm. deserve the platform or, or have some sort of productive conversation to have. Mm -hmm. We're not just going to like let any person on here to talk and have a platform because that does a disservice to our listeners to just have like Mm -hmm. anyone. Um, So yeah, I think it's, it's weird. I think the same people that decry cancel culture also the people that like are all for like private businesses or like mm-hmm. people like you know um the second amendment you know like their freedoms but then are upset when other people exercise their private freedoms and and their private rights to say like i'm not going to allow you in my business or i'm not going to allow you on this show or what like you can't have it both ways and i think that that sometimes when it doesn't work out for them a lot of these conservative folks can't like wrap their heads around being held accountable for something that they claim. Are there instances where people who aren't associated with conservatism or the far right that have been canceled? Like I can't, I know there has been, but I personally can't right now think of situations. I was thinking just about like locally. um, And I I see, and I wouldn't call it cancel culture though. So like, if I feel like we get into this like semantic debate or gray area where like for example there were people that were like um calling you and i marty out for like participating in the jefferson educational society stuff Uh, like they have kind of like their own historical issues which like i've also talked about to the people in the jefferson like and so because you and i chose to participate in their civic leadership academy there was like more progressive folks that were saying like why are you doing, you know, calling us out? And I wouldn't say that any of those people canceled us, but had they taken a step further and said, oh, I'm never talking to you again because you did that, then I think that that could have been like maybe an example of like how we sometimes take it too far with private people. And I think that's maybe where I draw the distinction is like, I will never try to like cancel someone I can talk to. <laughs> you know, you only try yeah, to- Yeah, but like, in that moment- harder, Or part like community power when it's someone more powerful than you. Mm-hmm. But we- it felt some kind of way to- because I, I I was interested to see this institute and everything is in from the frame of reference that I've lived here for now four years. Mm-hmm. I work in the community and understanding how different players work and why they have certain power and why they how their programs work. Um, and also, I, I, I my opinion is sort of shifting away from this, but I had a strong belief that to change certain things, you have to get into that system and meet the people and get to know them. Um, I could talk about that a different day. Um, But the backlash, not even backlash, it's just people that you think know you, like, why why can't you text me or call me that you're, Mm -hmm. it was just, and it wasn't even, we weren't canceled. It wasn't, it was just interesting to be on the other end of it where it's like, you know me, Mm -hmm. we can talk about why I do certain things. You know my values. I feel like, I don't know. If you know yeah. someone's values and you know who they are, then you should give them. And I guess this is um, part of the overall issue with quote unquote cancel culture is like giving people the opportunity to be known why their intentions on something, mm-hmm. if they meant it a certain way, if there's any intention at all behind anything. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. 
Mm-hmm. It's so crazy because for me, it's a spectrum. Like cancel culture, I can say is not like, oh, it's like, it's dumb. But then I look at like the R. Kelly stuff. When that R. Kelly stuff was happening, he was canceled for me, like completely. Mm-hmm. I don't listen to R. Kelly's music. I don't watch any R. Kelly old videos. Like I don't literally when R. Kelly comes or like if his music comes on, whatever, I turn that shit off. And so like for me, I guess is like, am I feeding into like the ca- the cancel culture? Like, no, it's just more so like I'm not listening to somebody who literally subjected women to mm-hmm. abuse. So like, OK, if you want to call that cancel culture, I guess call it what you want. I'm just not going to, you know, so I guess for me, like. I don't know, like I kind of teeter between like. Is it like a necessary thing to, to you know, is it a necessary term for me to use? Or like going by the individual situation at hand, you know, like, I don't know. I feel like it's. But the R. Kelly situation, um, I remember seeing on Twitter when Harvey Weinstein, like people slowly started coming out against Harvey Weinstein and people saying, well, I hope you treat Weinstein like you treat R. Kelly. Like you're always coming after black people. And it's like, they're both evil. Right. (laughs) We don't have to tear i mean we should we should disassociate ourselves from their creations and making them thrive but like Mm -hmm. we don't have to performatively tear them down equally for it to matter you know i saw a lot and there's it was actually during the whole me too movement um and it's still a thing i'm not saying it's a past instinct but uh whenever a man of color would be found out about sexual assault or other grievances and be held accountable whenever a white man would be found out about it people like oh i hope you hold him the same level Mm -hmm. accountability it's like what what are you talking they're all evil don't make it seem like because he is white somehow r kelly's situation was not just as horrendous Mm -hmm. you know i sometimes that i don't even know what to call that instance but that played into things too like the racial dynamics of wanting everyone to be torn down that's kind of how I feel when we talk about like the criminal legal system too, mm-hmm. is like mm-hmm. when when people get ch- like when white people get charged for things and they're like, well, I hope they get sent to the, you know, electric chair. I hope they get sentenced with life. And I'm like, eh, neither are really good. Like we shouldn't be do- like oh. there is there is a racist. We do have a racist criminal legal system that disproportionately affects black and brown bodies and sends them away to prison yeah. for far longer than their white peers or sends them to death. Um far more than their white peers that doesn't mean that the solution is to hurt the white operators in those systems as much it means we need to humanize the entire system mm-hmm. so like i i think that that's part of the problem is is this whole like an eye for an eye type mentality is like you've hurt us this much so now you need to hurt this much whereas like can can we grow together and say yeah this shouldn't have happened this was wrong maybe we didn't handle it the right way or maybe we should have done this differently and like now we're going to evolve and it might not get the same treatment because every situation is different and our understanding is evolving. But like it doesn't mean that what happened like was not equally as bad or equally as as problematic. It was like um, not to say this is equal, but um, whenever they hold any kind of officer accountable for shooting down a citizen mm-hmm. or I, I can't think of the situation that just triggered it in my mind, but we're not asking for police accountability that you know whenever you see a white person you shoot them the same we're asking that no one gets shot you know and i think that's often missed by conservative dems and conservative (laughs) republicans is they feel like we're just trying to you know have everyone 
treated mm-hmm. poorly. Right. It's it's like a false dichotomy. And that's that's the kind of uh, philosophical and like logic games that some of these people play with these issues, which is the same idea that we're talking about with cancel culture is like they create this false dichotomy where it's like you're either canceled or you're not. And you're either like free or you're not to speak your mind. And and any infringement on that is like unfair or un you know American, um, and but like that's a false dichotomy. Like there is gray area within that. It's not black and white. It's not all or nothing. Um, so I think when it's a very powerful tactic to almost like shift the the field, right? Like if 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 we're operating in a bigger landscape where we have a lot of different options then we have to have complex conversations. And I, as as the controller of whatever, I can't control as much if the field is so broad. But if I change the conversation and say, well, our only options are like this area, then it's easier for me to control. It's easier for me to manage. And it's easier for me to maybe try to convince you that one option is better than the other, as opposed to if we have like 20 different options. So mm-hmm. I think it's it's a tactic by people in positions of power to shift the entire conversation so that we can't even acknowledge all the options that exist. And we just narrow it completely so that people in power can still maintain their power, but like seem like they're having this debate, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. It's so complex because I feel like I even think about the situation that I don't I don't watch American Idol, but I literally I saw uh, my news, my news feed that this name, I think his name was Caleb. And he just recently left American Idol and he's from Spartansburg. I think Spartansburg, PA, Is Spartansburg, MPA. Yeah, I think I mean, there's probably a few, but literally just <laughs> left uh, American Idol because apparently, well, I, there, this is not even apparently it happened um, when he was 12 years old. He took a picture. Um, it was a family photo or either a family photo. I need to actually find it. Either a family photo or Don't a picture. Don't tell me he did blackface. No, he had a hood on, a, K- a Ku Klux Klan hood on. <sighs> and and he was 12, though. And apparently his family said it was a video when he was 12. It was recorded. And he was saying, and the family was saying that it was from uh, a movie. Like he was mimicking something from a movie. Mm. Um, and it's just like he decided to leave. And my thing was like, okay, dude, one, you were 12. You did it. Obviously, it was wrong. It's wrong all over. It's, right. it's all, obviously it's wrong. But like when you're 12, you were 12. OK, now you're grown. Instead of leaving the show, why would you not just say, you know what? It was wrong. I was 12 years old. I did not know this. Blah, 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 blah. Uh, I've grown from from them from here. And I would love to stay on the show and whatever. Like, I just feel like leaving the show is like it was a really bad move. Mm-hmm. Um, leaving the show was a very bad move because I feel like stand firm in your decision to do that as a kid and stand behind it and then say you've moved on. Like, I don't know how hard it is for people to do that, but it seems to be hard for people to stand by the shit that they did in the past. Like accountability is hard. That's why people claim hard culture, right? It's like they handle being accountable. I think of like on The Bachelorette, like Chris Harrison left the final, like the most recent season because he was getting some backlash for like a racially insensitive comment he had made. And rather than finishing out the season with like one more episode and and standing in that and and kind of embracing that, um, like he decided to have some other guy do the last episode. Like, why? Why? Just stand in. Yeah, like you said, I, I think there's a space for humility and accountability. Right. And to me, to me personally, I am so much more comfortable in being humble and and 
and accountable than I am in running from like, cause then that stuff like follows you. It like, it doesn't go away. Absolutely. I don't know. I might be part of the problem because I feel like maybe not in a situation with the American Idol person who was 12, Mm -hmm. but if you're, if you're 32 and we catch you saying that, and uh, there's a situation a few weeks ago, or maybe last month, like there was a basketball game with high schoolers and the high schoolers kneeled and the moderator called them like the N word and was talking about Yes, I saw that. Yeah. So, and then he was like, I'm sorry, my di- diabetes was acting up. What? <laughs> so diabetes and- is not, y'all, diabetes is not correlated to racism. Wow. I think that like at all. Neither is alcoholism, guys. Yeah. I'm so sick of people saying, oh, oh I my was God. drunk. But any even remove alcoholism or diabetes as the excuse. Right. At a certain age when people make those, I don't even call it mistakes. When you do something mm-hmm. like that and then decision. you apologize. It's accidental. I don't believe you. No. You know, no. unless there's some people who uh, I can't think of instances. There's some situations where he's like, this person is genuine, but that's rare. Mm-hmm. So I kind of I kind of not understand people leaving. But like if you were to apologize and I'm not going to buy, then you might be worse off, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I might really be sorry. Maybe that's me. Right. No, for sure. It's if you're not really- like, don't give me a false apology. Don't waste everyone's time and mental. Right. Yeah. If you don't want to change, then it's probably easier to walk away. And then yeah. just not have any of the conversation. And recognize that. Because right. a lot of these people are just trying to save their asses. Yeah. Oh, if you're 40 years old making these mistakes in America with our, please, you know what you're doing. I don't have the patience for it. I really don't. Yeah. That's um, mm. when I was working with men convicted of sexual offenses as a therapist, that that was one of the biggest distinctions we made in therapy was like, there's a difference between mistakes and bad decisions. Your sexual offense was not a mistake. You made that decision. Mm-hmm. It was a bad decision and you can be sorry about it. You can yes. have regret. You can have shame. You can have guilt. You can, you can want to be better. You can recognize that it was wrong and it will be something you never do again, but it was not a mistake. It was a bad decision. Because when we say mistake, it absolves us of all our accountability. It was Absolutely. a it was an accident. A mistake is putting salt in your coffee when you meant to put sugar. That's an oh, accident. Yes. That's okay. a mistake, right? A yes. mistake is turning down the wrong. Like those are like unintentional, like small level. But like when you make a decision and it hurts someone, that's a bad decision. Yes. Mm-hmm. I think we know from Lydia. Stop saying mistake. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> For anyone, your decision. No, but it's so important. Like language is so important. People like. Yeah. And I think this is the other thing that a lot of people from privileged positions, whatever that looks like, whether that's men or white people or able-bodied people or or people from a certain like upper class that like people get frustrated when you say, please change the way you're speaking about this issue because your words are hurtful and they don't understand how words can be so powerful, especially when you hear these hurtful words day in and day out Mm -hmm. or when these words have been like codified and and like (laughs) legitimized in systemic policies that affect us on a daily basis like when when words create the the like frameworks of your life that keep you boxed into a life that you don't want to be in anymore and you want to like break free of it like words are so powerful and words are like the realities we construct for ourselves and for other people so like we have to change our words if we want to change anything else around us absolutely Mm -hmm. but that's just my two cents on that I've been eating a lot of candy today, so like, I don't even know. I feel like our culture is shifting. Marginalized people have more. We have more platforms to say how we feel about things. We have more power to connect with 
the oh did marty freeze did she freeze i just heard you chomp on your sorry. blown up oh sorry marty, you froze for a second yeah you froze um, for a second. never mind no 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 go back so you said oh i forget what you were just about to say it was like right when you paused oh i don't remember now dang i was just saying you know it can bite the other way that sometimes when something comes out um people make it bigger than what it may have mm. originally been yes. and the pay to payback will be bigger and yeah. when someone is mm -hmm. punished it's hard to come back from that mm -hmm. but that's rarer i feel like the problem or the term cancel culture refers to people who are actually held accountable for real things mm -hmm. yeah no I, well and i think we also haven't seen good examples of people being humble and accountable to their action like we so again going back to when i worked with men convicted of sexual offenses because they would they would have thinking errors or they would say sexist stuff and and our conversation in group therapy when i was in a room of like eight 30 to 60 year old men who had been in prison our conversation was okay you have one opportunity to do it right when you do it or say it the first time you have a second opportunity to fix it when we hold you accountable to it so that second opportunity is just as important as your first one you can say the wrong thing the first time but if i say hey that was sexist that wasn't appropriate here's why if your reaction is no it wasn't i didn't mean that blah 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 okay well that's two strikes but if your if your response is you know what you're right i hadn't thought about that i'm you know i'm sorry i'm gonna work on fixing whatever that what like then then you're then you're good like then it's not the end of the world but if like you keep having these like second chances and you keep just staying rooted in your your problematic beliefs or your sexist harmful beliefs like then there's not much we can do about that but like we always have second third fourth opportunities to to shift and to say okay yeah maybe i didn't get it right that time like we always have more opportunities and i think we don't get examples of that with people in positions of power we don't see that happen very often so we think uh -huh. that oh when this happens like it's impossible for people to jump like to bounce back from it but it's because we only see shitty people get into trouble and then they don't <laughs> they don't take accountability they don't take responsibility for it so yeah, yeah. they can't bounce back from it because like you said like we all know when it's not authentic we all know when they're just faking an apology you can't bounce back when you're not really sorry for what you did or said that's facts mm -hmm. that's facts mm. yeah i can't think of Man. like big people doing it. everyday people we all run into each other and hurt each other but we apologize and we grow but i can't think of public examples of someone who did it really well i'm, I'm i know there's someone in I'm my sure mind that's are. tickling there me have, i can't pull to. them out that's sad though i know right i mean even in personal life i'm sure we can all think of those people that we don't bring up when they hurt us because we know that they're not going to respond well Mm -hmm. you know like i can think of a handful of people that it's like i just don't even bring it up because i know mm -hmm. if i bring it up they're gonna make excuses or they're gonna blame me for it or they're gonna turn around and blame it on something else. like and it's not gonna feel good and it's not gonna get results so you don't bring it up and then there's other people that you know you can say stuff to right you know you can go to them and say hey this really hurt and they're going to respond well and like those people are like safe like i know for me like buster's been that person for me like since the beginning is like I can say something and he's right like his ego never gets in the way of him being like oh my gosh i'm so sorry i never meant to hurt you or say something to offend or like anything like mm -hmm. he's right there i think those people are so important to have in your life and if you don't have someone like that like Thanks. find them find us talk to us <laughs> and if you're surrounded by 
the former people who make you feel small or ridiculous, you need to maybe let those people go. Uh, okay. For mm-hmm. real. Seriously. And I don't think we realize that there's like other options out there. I know like I didn't sometimes like I love my dad. One of his downfalls was like not being able to like always be accountable. I mean, he could sometimes, but like there was times where like he just couldn't. And so yeah. like you if you grow up in spaces where you don't see it modeled for you, it's really hard to develop that skill in yourself because you don't see how it's done. You don't have a good example for that. So I also like for people going through it, like it's hard to be accountable. It's hard to make good apologies and make authentic apologies if you've never seen it modeled for you. So that's also something I think that like we could give people the space for and say like, okay, I can see that you're struggling with this apology, but like if you're coming from an authentic place, like let's work through this together because we don't, none of like, Many of us probably haven't had good examples of people I've being humble that. and authentic. Yeah, that's good. I'm sitting here like, oh, I've never thought about it. And then it's I've never thought think, about that. And then it's making me think again, that inner child work. I'm going to go like think about if that has had like, where was that modeled? Was that modeled for me? Like the accountability? Because I know coming from and I don't want to, again, broad brush being uh, um, um, black, but I minimally <laughs> when we see our parents apologize or take uh, their selves accountable for their actions, which I'm still at this point, I would say, uh, working through. And so that's uh, something that I know, like, even within our relationship with me and Angel, like that was something that I struggled with is like acknowledging when I hurt that person and not that I'm a bad person or not that I'm like not empathetic and all those things, but there's just certain things that I did struggle with as saying, oh my God, like I didn't even see that as a problem and not having the language. I think that the thing is like what you're talking about, Lydia, is just having the language of knowing how to, um, and not even just knowing how to say it, but genuinely being like, like, oh my God, like I did not see that as an issue and I, I'm going to work on that. I'm not perfect, but I'm going to work on that. Right. Um, and I just feel like that's something that again, has to be taught something that you have to, it can't, it's not like, it's just going to come to mind. Like, you know, like, oh yeah, let me hold myself accountable. Like that's like you said, that's definitely something that, um, over my years of growth is something I'm still I think that's something that you can never really grow out of. Like that's something you just kind of grow into being. But no, I mean, that grow, you know, work, right? Yeah, it's like I was gonna say, that's constant. Yeah, constant work. And I, girl, yeah, constant work. That's all I have to say. Right. No, and I think it goes back to that, like the idea of false dichotomies too. Like, and again, I don't know why I feel like I'm like being called back to like all the times when I was the therapist to these guys. But like, we also talked about how we're always told that like if you've done a bad thing you're a bad person and you're either a good person that does nothing wrong or you're a bad person that's done bad things Mm -hmm. it's not that simple you Mm -hmm. can you can have done terrible horrible things Mm -hmm. and you can have hurt countless people but if you decide today to make a change and and change your life and change the way you view yourself and the world and people around you like Mm -hmm. you can still be a good person and have done bad things in your past and it's i think it it hurts ourselves. It hurts our communities. Like it, it, it does not make us better communities or safer communities to say, oh, all these people are terrible, horrible, evil monsters. Right. And these people are good because at the end of the day, none of us are perfect. Mm-hmm. None of us have never hurt. So like we've all hurt someone if, to varying degrees with varying intention. But like we've all hurt someone in our lives and, and we can make excuses for ourselves or we can say, you know what? We all make mistakes. We all make bad decisions. And, and we're going to try to learn from those and grow from that and, and 
and work together to, to help us all be better, safer human beings, not just, you know, cordon people like and warehouse the people that we don't want to have to work with. Because that's what we do with mass incarceration, right? Is like we take all the people and we're like, oh, I don't want to have to deal with you because you're, you know, doing something I don't agree with or you're trying to disrupt the systems and like the status quo. So therefore, like, let's like lock you up. Mm. Like that doesn't help anyone. We're not a forgiving society. <laughs> oh my God. I was literally thinking the same thing. And then I was also yeah. thinking about like this whole, I don't know, like I know that as a society, we're kind of now talking more and more about mental health, right? Mental health, right? And seeking therapy. And, you know, if somebody's toxic, then make sure you stay away from them, right? And so, like, I really feel like this might be a little bit unpopular opinion. This is a small, unpopular opinion. Obviously, you don't want to be around toxic people, people that drain you, people that, you know, um, uh, that when you're around them, they just don't make you feel, you know, like a whole person. I get that. But there has been, what I've also see on, on social media a lot is it's like people are expendable now. You know, it's like, oh, well, if that person is, you know, not doing, I guess, what they're doing for you, then leave them to the, you know, to the dust. And I have like a very, I guess for me, like I'm trying to figure out like how, what's that balance, right? Like, obviously don't be around somebody who's completely negative all the time, right? Or toxic, but there's reasons for that. You know, there's reasons for why that person is the way that they are. And I feel like it kind of goes with the cancel culture of like, you know, staying away from toxic people. I don't care if it's your family. It could be your mom, your dad. And it's like, mm, let's not generalize that because I get not being around a toxic family member or a parent or whatever. That's fair. Um, but through my journey of 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 of, of uh, growing and, and really healing parts of myself that struggled with mm -hmm. my relationship with my parents, I really felt like it's not healthy to say, well, I'm just going to cancel out and just not talk to them anymore. That's not fair because I feel like I am an extension of them, you know, and that's different for me. Um, and I feel like we can grow, we can learn together, but I can understand if it's just somebody you just met two days ago or a year ago. I mean, even that, but I just think that, like you said, Marty, like the whole, uh, uh, unfor the lack of forgiveness that we have for people, people that are supposed to be our family, people that we, that are supposed to be our friends, people that we love. It's like nowadays, it's like people are like, well, if they're not doing for me, I'm just going to like, you uh -huh. know? Yeah. And it's like, what is happening? That I don't think that's supposed to be what we're like. That's not even what mm -hmm. therapists are even telling you. They're just like, you know what I'm saying? So like, mm -hmm. I don't know. I have like a problem with that. Like it's a balance. I, I yeah. don't think about that. I think you know, there are certain situations where, like, this person's literally harming you. You should true. not be in association with them. But other Absolutely. people, like, oh, they're irritating. They're always nagging things, you know? Right. Maybe that's someone you just work with. <laughs> Try to... I get it. Because there's working relationships like that. It's different yeah. when it's personal, though. I don't know. It, it is. Like, but it, I don't know. I just see, like, this this whole on, like, when I'm so on social media, people are just like, yeah, leave them, leave them be. It's just like... I don't know. Like, I feel like there has to be a healthy balance, like you had said. And like, I'm trying to say is just, I don't know. People just take something and run with it, <laughs> you know? Well, and there's a difference between can't like cutting all ties and having boundaries. And I think that's another mm -hmm. thing that people are not taught because we're not modeled. We're not shown how to set boundaries. In fact, a lot of us, I'm sure, have been like have been taught to not have boundaries. Like you do whatever mom and dad say when they ask it. And like you don't set you, you don't have your own. Right. Like right. so we're not taught to have boundaries in a lot of contexts. And and so to develop boundaries feels like all or nothing, like either I have to cut ties or I have to stay 
together with them all the time. Absolutely. Like you can have boundaries. You can set and they can be very fluid or very flexible or very like person specific. Like with this person, I don't do X, Y, Z or I only have this much contact. Like right. you can have boundaries and that's okay. And that's healthy. Like it's healthy to have boundaries with people. Mm. Um, and I also think the one thing I was thinking about too is like social media is not real life. <laughs> so like you can cut people off from your social media and still be okay to see them in real like so i know for myself like there's been certain people that my boundary with them is i will still see them and communicate with them in person but their social media presence is so oh my god yes. harmful is so negative is so like anti black lives matter and so like anti all the things that i believe in that like i know it's it's agitating to me to see all the like the shit that they post and I'm like you know what I don't need to see that so I'm gonna block them on social media I don't block them in like I still see them frequently in real life but I just don't need to see their stuff on Facebook and quite frankly I don't need them to see my stuff on Facebook like because okay. that probably is agitating them and I don't really need them to be like in my personal like so I think we have become a, like conditioned to believe that social media is a reflection of real life and it's not mm. so if you have boundaries on on your social media and you say i'm i'm deleting all these friends or i'm blocking all these people like that's also okay like it's not the end of the world but i do i think there needs to be some thought there it needs to be like what's my boundary and really like how am i setting these boundaries intentionally and not just saying like yeah you said one thing that annoyed me and now i'm blocking you forever yeah. I love that. Yeah. I love because I, I think that's part of the problem with social media is that it feels like I I'm seeing all these streams of thought that I don't agree with. So therefore, it's a reflection of your whole being. Therefore, I don't want to know you. And when you delete that person, it's like I don't want to have to do deal with. And maybe some there are some people who it actually is in real life. You also don't want to know them. Mm -hmm. Right. But that's not always the case. I needed to hear that. I think. Yeah. Yeah. I go through this weird phase of like Facebook, like every now and then I'll have this like, why are half these people, my friends on here? Mm -hmm. Like if I would let, would I let them in my house or like, you know, and if, if I'm letting them into my Facebook, would I let them into my home? Like I get to that mm -hmm. depth and then I'm like, Lana, it's Facebook, right? <laughs> so then I just think, okay, it's Facebook. I can control this, uh, this room. I can control my Facebook, but I have these moments where I'm just like, why am I even here? I don't. But again, that's just <laughs> that's why I took Messenger off my phone years ago. It's like if you don't have my number, I probably don't want you having <laughs> access to me at all times. Right. Now that's my boundary. Social Email media me. lives on the computer. Yes. Right? It's powerful though, right? Yeah. No, I've done I did the same thing, I think a year and a half or two. Like around when like COVID started and I was like always plugged in. I had to yeah. turn off notifications on my phone. Like if I want to find out who's trying to get a hold of me on Facebook, I'll open it but i don't need to see that there's like pings and three unread like no I facebook no. is not it's not work it's not my fit like like you said like if someone needs to get a hold of me and i have a connection to them they will have my phone number they will be able to call or text me and i will see that i don't need to be knowing that like 12 people are trying to get a hold of you on <laughs> facebook or that, like no Yo. i know and and most of the time it's like my one aunt that's liking all my photos <laughs> anyway. So it's one person and then I get my hopes up that I'm popular and I'm never. So, I mean, it's fine. It's probably better for my mental health. <laughs> but just imagine that's now I see how those celebrities be feeling like they like turn their comments off or they're like, you know, like they're like, listen, I ain't got time. Just imagine being a celebrity. Like I That's why some of them give themselves in trouble responding Dude. to people. It's like, no, you're famous. I you went to my list. Not even big celebrity, but like sometimes Ryan Bizarro replies <laughs> to comments and I really don't think he should. 
Him, I saw Dan <laughs> Laughlin do that same thing. Oh, oh my God. Some of them El Drinko de Deo. I was like, just leave it. Yeah. Screenshots exist, people. And that's why I feel like they they feel like they're untouchable or something. Because like sometimes they say I'm like, you talk that way to people? I don't know. No, I'm not gonna say that. I was gonna say sometimes it's a reflection of how you actually talk to people though. I think we are different Behind people on social media, but still a reflection of a per part of ourselves. For sure. But right. I mean if you're willing to put it in writing. Yes, in print. Like you had to think through writing that out. That's a Buster and I've talked about that a lot. It's like you get someone to text it to you. They've had to decide to write it all out and see it in black and white ink. Like, it's different than just verbalizing it and maybe getting agitated and misspeaking. Like, you you wrote it out. And it's another thing to do it on a public, um, on a public comment section. Yeah, not even just, like, a private message or, like, yeah. I, it's it's weird. I don't know. I think people, again, and, and I think it's interesting because I see that like people in positions of power accuse it of like these like keyboard warriors or whatever they call it like people that get angry and like will angry comment on all their stuff and but like they do like kind of the same thing when they reply they're like right you don't understand and you're so dumb that you don't get this and all that like okay <laughs> how is that any better than what they're saying like they're being disrespectful to, like I don't know like back to like the like classroom cliche like two wrongs don't make a right or like okay they were disrespectful to you so you're you're it's okay then to be disrespectful to them i don't know we all need to go back to kindergarten is what i'm hearing from this conversation (laughs) (laughs) we all but kindergarten needs to also be different you know it needs to be a little more holistic than what we got but some social emotional learning Mm -hmm. yes right right no like for real (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> or people some people need to go to preschool too like preschool is a very important part of your life I think that there's a lot of people who have skipped preschool so I think that <laughs> pre- yeah and it's like you skipped preschool didn't you mm-hmm, I know you did like, <laughs> so that's why like universal pre-k or whatever right like isn't that a, a proposition that like Biden's been throwing around or something I think is he good I don't it know I that's crazy I went to GCAC universal daycare I don't know something um yeah, please yeah. make family planning easier for people you want people to have kids and raise them make it affordable i can't believe the prices i hear for people putting their kids in daycare what i I can't afford that on my paycheck the average i saw was like 200 bucks a month per kid oh my god i had a co-worker and you wonder why people choose to stay home with their kid like it right doesn't like them the numbers don't add up right Right. No, but I had a coworker. Have- no, you're fine. I had a coworker. Like I said, she was paying $700 and this was a week. I'm like, what type of kid were you going? Like, what? And where some people can make that much in a week. Also, they were going off her income. Like, so it was, yeah, oh, they were going off her okay. and her husband's income. And so he was making way more money. I think he was working for, I don't even know, some sports thing here, but seven, like, that's a lot of money. You know what I'm saying? Like for, I mean, I get it for care for your child, but. Yeah, but that should be like public. I don't understand why public school exists, but we don't have it for Mm -hmm. pre-K. Yeah, I don't I don't know because there's daycare. I mean, I went to preschool at GCAC Learning Center. So that's like, Mm -hmm. you know, that's where I shoot a lot of Mm -hmm. people that I knew went to preschool at, you know, and it was free because my parents were on the I believe it was like, um, I mean, my parents are pretty young when they had me. They were 21, 22 when um, I was like three or four. So I think that they. I think they had some assistance in that area. Mm-hmm. Um, and when, when, that's why I went to go to preschool at um, GCAC. Yeah. But I don't even think they have it anymore. I don't know. I haven't, it's been a while. Yeah. But. It's, 
it's tough. Well, there, I feel like there should be, and maybe this is a radical idea, but I feel like there should just be some things that we provide for folks. There's like nothing education, like daycare, like healthcare. Like, why, uh, why do we pay for healthcare? And why do we pay doctors and people, like, exorbitant amounts of money based on like what insurance like it's just bizarre to me that it's not just seen as like this is a public good to make sure that like our our farmers can farm and our builders can build and our teachers can teach that like everyone needs to be healthy and alive <laughs> like tell yeah. american because there are literally mul multitudes of examples where that is the case that right. they care about it's people. so bizarre it's so bizarre that in our that it's radical in our like U.S. context. Right. And it should not even be because like, well, the thing is, though, too, when you think about it, healthcare has changed a lot, too, just by the way the verbiage and the language. I mean, they say now is it when I go online to my UPMC, I think it says it doesn't even say customer. No, it says customer ID or something like that. Cus like customer. Mm -hmm. I don't think it says patient. And I'm like, oh. I'm not a customer. Like, I'm definitely a patient. You know what I'm saying? Like, mm -hmm. it's just even that like the word like, yeah, it's crazy. Mm -hmm. It's crazy. Yeah, but it's wild the way that money rules so much. Yes, like of yeah of like this country is money, right? And it's so bizarre. Like I don't know. I just I always think about my sister and the experiences she's had of like dealing with juvenile diabetes as a young person, and then having my dad's insurance, which basically shielded her from like the horrific parts of the healthcare system. Like she through my dad's union, like supported healthcare she could get basically anything she needed and and it didn't like break the bank with my parents but then as soon as my dad passed away she had like a month to figure her shit out yeah. and now suddenly things are like a luxury item when they like basically keep her alive it's bizarre it's bizarre the hoops she has wow. to jump through to just get basic things like she didn't do any like juvenile diabetes is not something that you acquire because like you don't exercise or you don't eat right or you did something to like deserve it and even then like i don't think health problems like whether it's something related to your life decision like it still doesn't mean that you don't deserve help but like my sister was 11 years old and she, like her just her pancreas doesn't work right so like she didn't do anything to make that happen it just is like it happened mm -hmm. and now she has to pay i mean like and just you think about like the lifelong impact of like okay now she doesn't have that like extra money to invest in a house she doesn't have that extra money to invest in this or that or in stocks or like whatever all the like bullshit that people are like just invest a little bit in stocks and like you can say it like i'm like not nah. like some people just don't even fucking have that some people yeah. don't have that luxury to invest even a little bit because they're worried that if they don't save that aside they might not be able to afford their insulin next month it's mm. ridiculous and the fear that brings like um my my condition is not life-threatening but it whenever I have a flare up, it, it feels debilitating, you know, like I am depressed. I'm somewhat in pain. It's just not, it's not great. But my medications have always been like 4000 to $5,000. And when I first got sick, before my parents figured out how to um, mm. use the, like some, some um, pharmaceutical companies have like a cost, cost type of program like you call the company and they look at how much you make and um you um get a discount my parents were paying a thousand for each one of my like prescriptions and if i were to not have good insurance i probably wouldn't be able to get my medication and it's just i 
I'm not planning on shifting my job or anything, but if I ever, whenever I move on career-wise, I always have to think about my health insurance. I don't want to do that. I want to just be, and even when I change medication, when my medication stops working, you have to wait for the insurance. You have to, the doctor has to send the Mm -hmm. insurance company a thing and they have to look at all the treatments you've had and determine whether or not you deserve it or not. My body is failing right now. Can you just give me the medicine I need? Right. And none of those people are necessarily experts in what you're like. That's what Izzy and I have talked about too, is like none of those people in the insurance company are like diabetes experts. So they don't even know what the fuck they're talking about. So I'm like, I'm just wondering like all those people that are approving your shit, Marty, like, are they even ex? like, do they even know what you're talking about? Or they just look at it and they're like, eh, doesn't sound right. Or Meh, I don't recognize that last name. So maybe not. Or, you know, like it's all those like little things that add up where like, why is that even involved at all? Like we talk about like a woman's right to choose and like the government and like other people not being involved in our medical like mm-hmm. your medical decisions should be between you and an expert a okay. medical expert that knows what they're talking about but i also think that like the medical expert should also not be beholden to what kind of money you're gonna like because i've also heard that certain medical professionals will give certain levels of treatment to people depending on their insurance like they will only yeah. give like the best treatment to people that pay them the most because of the better insurance they have which is like so unethical but there's like really no way to like prove that exactly but yeah it goes back to the cost why does my medication cost five thousand dollars it doesn't it doesn't not in real life but in the american healthcare system it does because capitalism Mm -hmm. because capitalism because capitalism (laughs) if this country the world like why is gdp the measurement of our like society how about mental health stability how about Healthcare. How about educate? Like they measure those things, but that's not the priority. This is like we're talking about humanity, human rights. Like that has to be put to the forefront. Like, and that's not like as much as people think it. it, It's not. Can I say something? It's, It's like that because our our global environment has been created and sustained by wealthy, white, able bodied cisgender straight men. Colonizers. Yeah. colonizers right like 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 these people like the reason that we vet like the reason why our history books are littered with accounts of war and yeah. not of accounts of collaboration are not because collaboration did not exist throughout history it's because the people that conquered in war were the ones writing the stories mm-hmm. the reason why we only value gdp as a measure of success is because the people that are leading us are only interested in in the wealth and the capital the like financial capital not the human capital and i, I even hate that phrase because it's crazy yeah human capital it's really and it's weird but like, but it's but, like they don't measure in that yeah and like that's the difference and i feel like if if more human oriented people particularly like women and and like just more diverse people were in these decision-making spaces and in spaces that determined the trajectory of our local and global communities like we'd see identifiers change dramatically because yeah who the fuck cares i don't care how much money because it's also not it's not it doesn't capture how much money we all make it just captures how much money the people at the top make yeah that's true the fuck does the stock market what right it means nothing it's meaningless okay listen but all those games they play mess with our jobs (laughs) and our incomes it does matter but it doesn't but God forbid people play the game with GameStop and get involved because then that's like messing with the system and that's like horrible. Oh, Maybe we do the humanist party. Like you identify yourself as people or profit. Granted, yeah. all of our parties right now are profit. 
Right. Yeah. No. Well, and that's we've said that before, right? Like it's not a left versus right thing anymore. Like it's a top versus bottom thing. Yeah. And and people get so caught up it because they again we've in, in in very real terms politically we've been given a very real dichotomy between Democrat or Republican, but it yeah. still is a false dichotomy in, in reality because we don't identify. Like we have to choose a party if you want to pl- play the game, but like. Neither, I don't think any of us here would be like, oh, yeah, whole hog. Like, we're all here 100% for the Democratic Party and all the leadership that it currently comprises. We probably identify with bits and pieces. But, like, at the end of the day, we're something totally different. But the fact that our two party system, like I said, like, yeah, oh, it's all connected, right? Because the people in power create a two party system that limits the playing field, right? That, like, says, you know, if there was too many options, it'd be hard to control you. So now we're going to only give you two options. That way it'll be easier to control you. Mm. We can't recode this program. Throw the whole computer away. Like, I can't with our system. That's systems. what I'm saying. We got to throw <laughs> everything away and start over. It's like, you can't, you don't paint a nice house. You don't paint a a, a messed up house, right, outside. No, right. no you, you know what I'm saying? Right. Like, you gut it. You mm-hmm. gut it. You re, you know right. what I'm saying? Like, yeah, sometimes you, you have to destroy the foundation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, and I feel like it's not radical. It's literally... They get it's scared when we radical. say that, though. Like, and it sounds it radical, radical, but we have to. It is radical, but it's definitely need, it needs to happen because we are trying. It's yeah, we're trying to we're trying to close like a wound that just keeps opening, opening mm-hmm. back up, and it's just like it's not gonna work. Like no. this is not right. like no anyone who has like knitted a scarf and missed a, a loop somewhere. <laughs> Like for all our crocheters and knitters out there, maybe you know, but like sometimes you have to unravel the whole fucking thing because you yes. make a mistake and like it fucking sucks and it takes forever. But sometimes you have to do that in order to do it right. Absolutely. And it's so like, like we have yeah. to do that sometimes in these in these systems and we don't have to do it all at once. We can like unravel bit by bit and like yes. have like like safety nets in there to like in the interim. But yeah, there's some of these like we need to unravel that shit. Absolutely. We have white supremacy and sexism embedded interlaced in this yes. like pattern. We need mm. to unravel it. Going back to what I said about changing things within the system. I don't fully believe that anymore because I cannot change something that perpetuates whiteness as a black person as a woman as mm-hmm. i can't the system prioritizes that so i'm not going to waste my time and love anymore trying to uproot a system that is so entrenched in what it is oh very i can't i think some people can do it but that person is not me it's yeah. not anymore and that's your boundary that's my boundary i feel it deep i feel that I deep think it's okay i think it's okay <laughs> wow mm. we just need a big chop that's for the black girls out there. Oh, <laughs> you know what that is, Lydia? No. A big job. <laughs> so, so uh, I wonder if people, like people our age with Devon and now having kids, if any of them are going to relax your children's hair. I. That's another conversation we definitely should have. First off, okay, yeah, no. no. So, but, big, yeah, go you ahead. See you see how me and Devon's hair is natural. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, growing up, I relaxed my hair. A lot of people relax their hair, so it's so that like it just is bone thin, straight. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but when people want to go natural, some of them cut off all their hair, oh, hence the big chop. Big so we want to get off of the overprocessed bullshit. Yes. I love that. Oh, oh, a metaphor. Yes. A yeah. <laughs> yes. I've done it twice in my life. And you know, I'm now I'm back to having hair, but like I literally two times shaved my whole head and I felt so liberated, right? Like you feel so free. You have no I have no hair, so you have to just 
see see me for me right because a lot of us hide behind our hair we don't realize it like where our hair is a very comfort it's like a comfort zone for a lot of I us i spent like 20 minutes freaking out over my hair today <laughs> and I put it up in the but i was like oh my god i can't hide behind my hair today. yeah no totally you see? and so it's like it's yeah like it just kind of was like freedom right but then as it grows back you're like you're moisturizing and i felt like the next time i was able to cut all my hair off i was able to in the next healthy way like do the right things, eat, you know, eat the right foods, eat, have, take the right vitamins because now my hair is growing more. Like I'm starting to take iron pills because I needed iron. And so like I had to start all over again to even know how to have healthier hair. And that's just like a great, we said, a great society. Like sometimes we need to. We need to trust black women. We need to listen to black women and we need to big chop like. (laughs) (laughs) See, I actually ran, like, this is not per our conversation we're having, but I transitioned wearing um, sewers and wigs. Mm. So what? That's oh. I, yeah. Yeah. I see. I I'm, I can do wig. I mean, not wig. I've done wigs my very first big chop, but then my head just started. So I'm a head sweater. Like, I sweat. Like, my head would just sweat. And I just felt like most of the time I was going like this. Uh-huh. And I just didn't want to do that. I just, so I just kind of. Shout boy. out to the black girls listening. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> like, speaking of hair, real quick, my friend showed me because I know we're actually we're on our way to end uh end out, right? But I my friend showed me this great video um by uh speaking of black hair. Um it was last week on the John Oliver show. I don't really watch John Oliver. Mm. I, don't, I don't know if anybody watches John Oliver. Every once in a while. John Oliver had a segment on hair and specifically like educating his people like on black women hair. I was like, huh, that's different. It was a little interesting, like, but really was spot on. I was like, okay, who gave you your education? Who gave you your class? But really like, I thought that was pretty pivotal. Like our conversation of our hair is now like people are, edu- white folk are educating other white folk about like how our hair is. And I just thought that was kind of cool. I was like, okay, like, because- okay. You have what? grandparents or mothers Ooh. of interracial children or mothers of adopted. And why am I making mothers? Parents of adopted black children. Everyone should know how black hair works, you know? Everybody. Uh, and you're right. All these dang bi- biracial kids running around. Oh, I can't stand when I... Listen, that's a whole other subject we want. <laughs> but yeah, running around with their hair, just a mess. Like, come on. Like, you know, like, if that's a whole other conversation. Yeah. <laughs> No, for sure. Right. And just and I think that is indicative of like this colorblind racism that we see a lot. Right. Is like I'm not going to acknowledge the differences in us down to the differences in our hair texture. So therefore I will treat your hair like my hair. But that's harmful because your hair isn't like my hair. So your hair needs things that are different than my hair, just like you need things that are different than me. And that's equity. That's not equality. And that's why we need equity in so many of our systems and not equality, because we have different needs. And that's okay. Differences are good. They are they are fine. There is nothing wrong with differences and acknowledging those differences is not the problem absolutely because we are so beautiful in our own way like i yeah like it's a society that everybody should be the same is so weird that is like what like well i don't get it it's like the it's the white man's version of what he thinks people that are marginalized want right again it's like not actually talking to the people affected but just being like okay here's what i think you want like Mm. no just talk to the people affect like I don't need your sympathy and what you think we want. I need your empathy and I need you to talk to us and ask what we want and what we need. And yeah. that's the difference. That's facts. Mm-hmm. 
So <laughs> cancel culture, the big talk. Uh, I don't remember what else. I know. Right. Recap. We've covered a lot tonight. We've had a lot of feelings. We've gone on a roller coaster ride. Um, but it's all good because next week we will be covering our book club discussion of hood feminism. So we'll be having our discussion with many of our our listeners. So that's so exciting. Some new folks, some familiar faces. So join us next week when we sit down and discuss hood feminism. Peace. Bye, y'all. You've been listening to the Art Eerie Podcast. Community voices unpacking Eerie's baggage and speaking truth to power. You can continue the conversation on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at Our Eerie Series. Funding provided by United Way of Erie and Ember and Forge. Music produced by Light Shadow. We appreciate you for listening to the Our Eerie Podcast. Until next time, take care of yourself. Keep fighting the good fight. Peace.